Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. School, a warm welcome as you're taking your seats. A warm welcome online if you are joining us. Uh, it's great to have you with us virtually as well. How are we all doing? All right, you were still talking to other people. It was rude of me to interrupt, right? But now that your attention is squarely on me, as is appropriate, uh, how are you all doing? Uh, oh, nice, nice. If we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Jono, and it's a pleasure to uh, share the word with you today. We are uh, in our fourth week talking about fasting. That's right. Uh, because tomorrow, as, as uh, Nick so well said, we start our 21 days of prayer and fasting, which is something we do uh, annually as a church. And really, uh, we've been intentional these, these last four weeks in talking about fasting before we fast. Uh, because we want to be intentional in what we do. Who knows in life it's so easy to, to do the right things for the wrong reasons and to, to miss something of what's going on in, in the doing. Does anyone else have that experience sometimes? Yeah, I find myself sometimes I'm, I'm out in our backyard kicking a ball with Ollie, uh, my son, and I'm thinking about all the other things, and I realize in that moment the most important thing I can be doing is being present in this, Yeah. And I think so often that can happen in so many other areas of life as well. And so we don't just want to go into uh, fasting as a church, kind of rolling into it. We want to be intentional uh, in, in embracing what we're doing. And so as Nick said, if you haven't yet uh, grabbed a calendar, please do. Uh, if at any stage throughout the fast you, you end up in that space where you realize I did not read the devotion for today and my calendar is at home, uh, you can find all the devotions are, are going to be up online at equipperschurch.com. Uh, forward slash backslash, I always forget which one, the slash, 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 uh, the fast, backs, yeah, anyway, uh, it doesn't really matter, you'll figure it out, uh, and, and you can also sign up there that you can get uh, the, the fast devotionals to your inbox. Last year, uh, I posted a link to them each day on our church Instagram, this year I'm not going to do that. Just because I would forget to do it some days and I felt bad and I was like, actually, people can find it. This is just a, an unnecessary thing for me to, to feel like I'm doing. So I'm enabling you to be adults and go find it yourself. Uh, we'll post a link to it in general on the church Instagram, but I would just forget. I get like halfway through. It'd be midday. I'm like, ah, I read the thing and I didn't post it. So it was just, it was hard for me, right? Um, so I'm just, it's just pulling back the curtain a little bit. You're like, oh, that's, I can see why that happened. Anyway, let's talk about fasting, shall we? Oh, no, before we do that, uh, I do want to say, uh, as well, we do want to, uh, encourage you to fast with us. Uh, today is, is my last day speaking on fasting for the four weeks, but next Sunday I want uh, to make sure you're in the room because we have the incomparable, how's that? <laughs> He's already laughing. He's like, oh, that's an interesting way to call me. The incomparable pastor Dave Whitaker uh, is going to be speaking on fasting, so make sure you're in the room for that. I know. Applause before the fact. That's, uh, there you go. Um, so do be with us for that as we embrace. It's one thing, you know, there's some wisdom of mine, right? I talked about fasting before we fasted. Dave gets to talk about fasting while we're fasting, which I think is much harder, which is why I got him to do it. Um, so uh, one, one last word on fasting from, from me to kind of recap where we're at uh, uh, so far. Uh, we really want to, to reiterate, you don't have to fast, Right? Fasting is not something that, that we have to do. God does not love you more or less based on, on if you do it or not. But we do believe that fasting is really, really beneficial, that there is a blessing in fasting. And, and, and fasting, we've been kind of framing as a way of primarily worshiping God with our bodies, 
Saying, God, actually, my belief in you, my relationship with you is more than just a bunch of ideas, but you made me inner body and you made my body good, and so I can bring my body in worship to you. That, that if, if nothing else, and, and primarily we have to remind ourselves that our bodies are not evil. Right? We are not people, you know, incorruptible souls trapped in some sort of meat machine, as, as, as some philosophers throughout time have said, but instead God made us in a good body. And that when we worship God with our bodies, we, we bring our body to Jesus. That, that fasting, you know, there's a bunch of great things. We've talked about the physical benefits, the mental benefits, the, the spiritual benefits, but, but fasting is not a Christian life hack. Fasting is a way of worshiping God with our bodies, and that as we come into alignment with who God is and how He made us, it just makes sense that things line up, that things work in the way that they are, uh, are meant to. Because our bodies, like all of creation, have been affected by sin. There's something in us that is broken, what the New Testament authors call the, the flesh, and fasting is a way that helps to turn our bodies into an ally in our war against sin. To say, hey, actually, not everything that I feel like doing in the moment is, is what is good for me. That there is a difference between uh, pleasure and happiness. There is a difference between dopamine and serotonin. That often my strongest desires are not my deepest desires. And that the person that I'm becoming is much more important than the things that, that, that I'm doing. Right? But, but that also, when we fast, we don't just rely on our own willpower. That fasting is actually a way of creating an availability for God to, to move with us, that in our weakness, He is proven strong. And, and then last week, we talked about the fact that there's something about prayer and fasting together, that, that when we fast as a way of worshiping, but also as a way of, of praying with our bodies, that something happens that we can't quite fully put our finger on, but that we can hear God in a different way, and that God hears our prayers in a different way, creates space to hear God and to be heard by God. And so today I kind of want to uh, pick up from that. That's where we are so far. And, and, and this week, uh, as, as Nick said, we've just had Heart Week, right? Heart Week is, is a, a moment in the year that we take to intentionally serve our community. Our tagline is to do good for nothing. We just go out and bless our community because we believe that, that that's one of the things that Jesus teaches us to do, that we are blessed to be a blessing, but that also in blessing others, we ourselves are blessed, right? Proverbs eleven twenty five: that the world of the generous gets larger and larger, that those who bring refreshing to others will themselves be refreshed. We don't think those are just pretty words, but actually how the way the world works, now, the, the placement of, of Heart Week leading into the fast wasn't accidental, but because there's actually something here that I'd like to talk about, about how fasting is not just a way for us to, to pursue God, not just a way for us to hear God, but there's a link between fasting and loving others. Is that okay? It's good. Why don't you bow your heads with me and, um, and let's pray. God, we thank you so much for, for this day together. God, I thank you for the, for the expectancy even in the room as we come into this time of prayer and fasting. God, we are ready to hear from you. God, we don't want to be a people who just do what we do without you coming with us, God. As Moses said, if your presence does not come with us, God, we don't want to go. We want to be a people defined by, by your presence, defined by a relationship with you. And so today, God, I pray as, as, as we look uh, at, at fasting again, would it not just be my ideas? Would it not be, uh, you know, interesting facts or, or quotes or anything else that might be helpful, but would you speak to us? Would we be compelled? Would we be encouraged by, by your presence and your spirit here today? Would we leave different as a result of having encountered something of you, God? Would your words ring out 
Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So around 2 billion people in the world live in poverty. Um, uh, around 10% of, of the, the world's global population, in fact, so about 700 million people live in, in extreme poverty, which is defined as less than $2 to live on a day. And, and here in New Zealand, in the last uh, household economic survey, which I know, uh, like me, you all, uh, you know, you, you wait for, you set your calendar on, oh, when's the next household economic survey coming out? I can't wait to read that, right? Uh, I do. Because uh, it's great for sermon facts. But uh, in, in the last uh, household economic survey, it found that 10.3% of children were found to have lived in a household experiencing material hardship. Material hardship is defined as being unable to afford food and utilities. Essentially, it's having to choose between eating and, and, and keeping the power on. And, and yet, it's estimated in New Zealand that we spend around about $3.2 billion a year on food that gets thrown away uneaten. That's equal to, to one year of meals for 688,000 people. To put it practically, it translates into something like the equivalent of 20 million loaves of bread is thrown away uneaten every year. And that's just here in New Zealand, right? Where, where if we're honest, we actually do pretty well in relation to food waste in comparison to many other nations. So, so we have this, this situation, not just in New Zealand, but globally, where we have millions of men, women, and children who are hungry, and, and then millions more who have more food than they know what to do with. You might be thinking, Jonah, that's, that's really important, and that's a, you know, a great thing to acknowledge and to talk about, and now I feel you know, I'm going to go home and uh, be, be more mindful of what I put in my refrigerator, and I'm going to eat some more leftovers. That, that's cool, but what does that have to do with fasting, Right? Well, I'm, I'm very glad you asked. I put the question in your mouth, but I'm glad I heard it uh, nonetheless. Turn with me, if you will, uh, to Isaiah chapter 58. Uh, Isaiah 58, I think, is one of the most essential passages on, on fasting. In, in context, God is speaking to, through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel. And, and the people of Israel are a people who are intended to be a, a kingdom of, of priests, bringing God's blessing to a world that, that really needs it. But God's intent, God's goal for them as a people and the reality are pretty different. But before we turn to Scripture, I was thinking about kind of an analogy of this this morning. Did, did anyone else ever grow up with uh, the Woman's Weekly Children's Birthday Cake Cookbook? Do you want to know what I mean when I say that? Yeah, if some of you are wondering, just close your eyes for a minute and imagine a cake that looks like a rubber ducky right? That is, that's, the, that's the cake from that book, or the train, or the swimming pool, right? Like it's, some of us are having the childhood flashbacks, some of us are having nostalgia, some of us, there's some trauma that's being brought about. Some of us have tried to make those cakes later on. Essentially what's happening uh, at a nation kind of level is there is the picture of, of the train or the rubber ducky, and I don't know if anyone's ever had this happen, then you try and make, has anyone ever experienced this? Or maybe you had this growing up, you try and make the cake train or the, the rubber ducky train. I, I bless my mother, I love my mother, my mother is good at a number of things. Uh, I had some interesting cakes growing up, right? Where you'd kind of get it, and, and you knew that it was from the Woman's Weekly Cookbook, you just weren't sure which page. Right, you're like, uh, is this the cricket one? She's like, it's a swimming pool. You're like, thanks so much for the... This is what's happening at a much less funny level for the nation of Israel, right? There is an expectation, there is a hope, there is a plan, and there is the reality. And, and they are, are wildly different. They're meant to be a nation that brings blessing to the world, but that is not what is happening. And this is the situation that Isaiah speaks into, Isaiah 58, verses 3 to 9. 
It says this, why have we fasted, they say, this is the people of Israel, to God, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? The people are asking God through the prophet Isaiah, look, we're fasting, but it doesn't seem to be working. Why is God not hearing our prayers? And God replies in verse 3, he says, Yet on the day of fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. Right, again, please, as we fast, let it not lead us to hangry punch-ups, right? But again, it's in the Bible, so there's grace to cover it. Uh, You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? God, God seems to be saying here that fighting is, uh, fasting, fighting is to be um, discouraged at all times, right? Fasting is, is not only personal to us and God. It's not just an us and God thing, but there seems to be something else going on. If we keep reading verse 6, God continues. He says, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set free the oppressed and break every yoke. Is is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide to the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then when you call, remember they started, God, why is it that we're fasting, we're praying, and you do not seem to hear us? He responds, then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. Now, I get when we read this, we're like, I feel like we just talked for three weeks about how fasting is a pursuit of us and God. Like it's a relationship where I pray with my body, but now there seems to be all of these kind of acts of service to other people incorporate what's going on here. If you took uh, St. Augustine, uh, the, the theologian, in his commentary on Isaiah 58, says something that I think uh, illustrates this really, really well. We'll put this quote up on the screen behind me. St. Augustine says this, break your bread for those who are hungry, says Isaiah. Do not believe, but do not believe that fasting suffices. Fasting chastises you, but it does not refresh the other. Do you wish your prayer to reach God? Give it two wings, fasting and almsgiving. Now, there's a word there we recognize, fasting. We're like, yeah, got that. And we're like, almsgiving. Almsgiving is not a word that we use a lot, right? Quick show of hands if you've used almsgiving in a daily kind of context this week. Right? If someone had, I'd be interested. I'd be like, let's talk about what your job is, because that sounds interesting. Right? Uh, almsgiving is a, isn't a word that we use a lot, and it's a combination of what today we would maybe call generosity and, and service and, and justice. It's a concept used a lot by Jesus and the early church. See, what, what I'm getting at is it seems that in the biblical imagination, fasting isn't just a you thing. Fasting is about your relationship with God, but as we seem to find again and again and again, our relationship to God is not something that happens in isolation, right? We've talked about this a a, a bunch this year in different ways and shapes. We've talked about the fact that it's a group thing, that we follow Jesus for ourselves, but we do not follow Jesus on our own. And we, we see there's an opportunity to see something more here, and we actually know this, right? We've spent most of this year in a series talking about being a house of prayer. 
right? A house of prayer, but not just a house of prayer, a house of prayer for all nations, right? A, a people who, who gather together, who encounter God, who, who pray, but do not stay simply gathered together. But in our coming together, in our encountering God, are then scattered to be a part of the solution that God wishes to bring to the world, that we are a people who bring something of the kingdom to earth, not just for us, but for the benefit of those around us, that it it starts with us in God, but it doesn't stay there, because an encounter with God will always turn us into a person of mission. Right, that's the series that's been the backdrop of everything we've talked about this year. We are a people who are commissioned who encounter something of God, and then who are sent out to be His hands and feet. Not just a house of prayer, but a house of prayer for all nations, because we embody our prayers. All right, we landed on the metaphor of prayer as breath, that, that we inhale in prayer, and we exhale in action. Right, and in the same way that it's, it's hard to imagine fasting without prayer, Right? It's, it's theoretically possible. We can pray without fasting and we can fast without praying, but, but together something happens. To the biblical mind, it's illogical to practice fasting without generosity. It, it, to, to practice fasting, as, as St. Augustine said, without almsgiving, without generosity, service, and justice. And followers of Jesus have been practicing this type of fasting, this Isaiah 58 type of fasting, where it's not a hyper-individualistic Western worldview diet where you get a little bit closer to God and feel a bit better about yourself, but something that touches the ground in your community that makes a difference in your life most definitely, but also in the lives of those around you. Throughout church history, we've been pointed again and again and again to this type of fasting. Uh, Here's some some quotes. The Shepherd of Hamas, which is an early uh, Christian writing dating to the early second century, has this instruction for what was, and hopefully one day again will be, the widespread practice of fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. It says this, Estimate the cost of the food that you have eaten on that day and give that amount to a widow or orphan or someone in need. Be humble in this way, that the one who receives something because of your humility may fill his soul and pray to the Lord for you. St. Gregory of Nyssa, a church father from uh, the, the fourth century in Cappadocia in the east, said this of fasting, give to the hungry what you deny your own appetite. Caesarius of uh, Arles, which may or may not be how you say either of those words, in France in the sixth century says this, let us fast in such a way that we lavish our lunches upon the poor, so that we may not store up in our own purses what we intended to eat, but rather in the stomachs of the poor. See, what, what all of these fathers of the faith and many others are saying is that we cannot separate a relationship from God from our relationship with our neighbor. Right? Jesus said it best, as you know, that's generally, generally true. He always seems to win, Right? When he's asked, what are the greatest commands? And he says, the first is to love your God, but the second is to love your neighbor. Right? The way in which we love God, it cannot be separated from the way in which we love others. Because when we encounter God, when we come to love God, when it lands in our heart in some sort of way, it compels us, not in a, I feel guilty if I don't, but I cannot imagine not being loving because I've encountered this love sort of way to love our neighbors. To, to not just pray, God, would your kingdom come in me, but God, would I be a part of bringing your kingdom to others? 
See, we could say it this way. Fasting is a way to love God and to love your neighbor at the same time. It's why it's so helpful. It's why it's so important. That's why it's something that we want to give some time to speaking about because it's a way to embody what Jesus invites us to in the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment to love God and to love our neighbor. And fasting is an opportunity to do both. Fasting, I want to say it one more time for it to land for you. If you remember nothing else today, remember this. Fasting is a way to love God and love our neighbor at the same time. You know, there's an opportunity in, in fasting, and I think three things in particular happen. I'm not going to speak for a long time today because I'd love for us to enjoy each other's company and go out and celebrate, but if you're taking notes, I've got three points, three things that happen as we fast in us, but also that impact the world around us. Number one, if you're taking notes, the first thing that happens when we fast in relation to others is when we fast, we stand in solidarity with the hungry. You know, as I began with today, that there are people around the world who do not have enough to eat, and it is not a choice. They don't get to choose when they wake up in the morning, you know, am I going to go hungry today or, or am I going to eat today? Is today going to be a fasting day or is today going to be a, a feasting day? The decision is made for them. And so when we make the decision to go without, when we intentionally embrace hunger, when we regularly go without food by choice, we put ourselves emotionally in touch with those who regularly go without food without a choice. The, the denial of our stomach can do something in our heart. We go against the grain of a culture which says pursue your own pleasure as the primary point of meaning and satisfaction in the world. And we say, actually, there are people who do not get to pursue pleasure. There are people who are without, and I'm going to remind myself, I'm not going to let them be out of sight, out of mind. I'm going to embrace something of their experience and stand in solidarity with them. And as we do that, it changes something in us. We begin to see those who do not have enough, not as a stranger, not as someone to be pitied or an inconvenience to walk around as we might see them on the street, but, but as a brother or a sister. Say, hey, actually, I get, you know, you're looking pretty sad, that you're looking pretty forlorn, and, and there might be a range of reasons why you're in that situation, but I can relate to the experience that you were going through as you were driven by hunger. Well, something we've been grappling with as, as a family is, is how do we raise our, our children in, in a culture in, in which their hearts can so easily be warped by consumerism and materialism? We've talked about it a bit this year that, that we're all following something, right? This idea of discipleship, we are all disciples of someone or something. And as a parent, I'm all too aware on a consistent basis that if I am not discipling my children, culture will be, right? If we are not telling them, hey, I think this is something that is helpful and life-giving, giving it to them for them to make their own decision, culture will be coming along and saying, hey, this is the good life. This is the way things work. This is, if you have one more thing, if you experience a little bit more pleasure, then you will be happy. So we think, man, how do we, how do we raise them in such a way that we acknowledge culture and we don't have kind of this weird hating culture, you know, Quipper's land, go live in the, you know, again, we're going to launch it one day. Not true. Right, but where we kind of enclave ourselves away and, and withdraw from the world. We don't want to hate the world. We want to be in the world, but not of it. And so how do we raise children without them being warped and, and accepting lies as truth? And, and, and actually, one of the things that was not an intentional kind of decision, but one of the things that's been really, really helpful is when we sit down as a family to eat, and sometimes there's not a plate in front of mum or dad. 
And, and initially, the kids are like, you're eating something nicer later on, right? Like, what's going on? What are you, what are you saving that's going to be? No, no. And we're like, we have to convince them, like, hey, come on. Like, we're, you know, it's, sometimes that happens, but that's not what's happening this time, right? No, I don't know. I saw the pizza box. What's going on? We're not getting pizza. I would say, no, no, we're not eating today, right? We're fasting. And the kids are like, why would you not eat, right? Like, food is great. We're like, you know, we agree. Right, but we're eating because we're reminding ourselves, we're praying with our bodies, but, but also we're eating as a way of remembering that there are some people in the world who do not get to choose not to eat. Some people in the world who, who do not have this opportunity, and so we fast as a way of pursuing God, but also as a way of reminding ourselves of the, the broader experience that's out there. You know, it's one thing to tell our kids something. It's another thing to show our kids something. And so I wonder if there's not a way that we can, can intentionally form ourselves and, and those that, that we get to do life with in a way that says, hey, pursuit of pleasure is not everything. We stand in solidarity with the poor. Fasting or even a restricted diet can enable us to do this in more than just well wishes and thoughts, but in a bodily way. But, but it's even more than that because then there becomes an opportunity. My second point today is, is it's not just to stand in solidarity with the hungry, but it's also to share what we have. There's this moment where we, we, we have what we did not eat. We have the resource that we did not spend on that meal, and we get to choose what we do with it. Now, by default, I'm not meaning to guilt or shame anyone. It's just going to go back into our bank account, right? It's a nice little saving for the day. That's great. But, but Dorothy Day, who's the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, uh, says this, and I think this is such a, uh, a good invitation to what we could do. She says this, How shall we have the means to help our brother who is in need? I don't know about you, but that's a question that I ask all the time. We so, see so much need in the world. We see so many things that are not as they should be, and it can feel overwhelming. How do we have the means to, to be a part of the solution? How do we have the means to be Christ's hands and feet in practical, embodied ways? How do we have the means to help our brother who is in need? We can do without those unnecessary things which become habits. Cigarettes, this was written a while ago, right? Hopefully cigarettes are no longer a habit for you. If they are, uh, we would encourage you to not do that, right? So this is not a, hey, it's all right to smoke most of the time, just not when you're fasting. We should give up smoking all the time, right? Uh, those things which become habits, cigarettes, liquor, coffee, tea, candy, sodas, soft drink, and those foods at meals which only titillate the palate. You all know those foods that titillate your palate, right? We all have these habits, the youngest and the oldest. And we have to die to ourselves in order to live. We have to put off the old man and put on Christ. You know, there's a, a beautiful long-standing tradition that we've talked about in the Catholic Church of fasting on Fridays. But, but what we haven't talked about so far is, is also within this tradition is, is not just to fast, but Fridays is a day of service. Fridays is a day to, to take the opportunity to serve in some sort of a way in, in the community, to volunteer on a Friday in a way that helps the community, working in a soup kitchen or a local charity, doing something that we wouldn't just talk about justice, but that we would live out justice. Because we live in a society that is great at talking about justice. In 2016, a, a word uh, was added to the, the Oxford English Dictionary. Again, this is like the Household Economic Survey. It's one of those things that's interesting, right? Looking at what words have been added to the dictionary this year. Some people just get entertained by weird things, right? And in 2016, one of the words that was added to the dictionary or the phrase was this phrase, slacktivism. 
It's like activism, but with slack on the front, right? You see where it's, a, it's an ingenious little uh, word there. And, and slacktivism means to conspicuously or obviously show support for a cause, as by posting on social media or hanging a flag or a sign without taking any real steps to affect the, uh, change. Right, I think in, in our day and age, much of what people call justice or generosity or, or helping people is really just a rant on social media. Right, I know, and I'm not saying that we should not post things on social media, but I am saying that often what happens is the, the, the feeling that we have inside of, oh, that is wrong and I should do something about it, can very easily be met, be placated with a post on social media. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm grieved that there are people without. I'm grieved that that is happening and it is wrong. But now that I've reshared this, this post on Instagram, I, I feel a little better about it. And I don't think that that's God's intent. I think when things happen that are wrong, it should grieve us in such a way that simply reposting something on social media does not mean that we would be compelled to action. See, my prayer for us as a people of faith is that we would not be slacktivists that we would not simply repost things or, or hashtag thoughts and prayers, that we would not think, oh, that's really unfortunate that that's the way that things are. And, and I'll say a prayer for it and dismiss it, but that we would be who we said we want to be, a people who embody our prayers, who breathe in in prayer and exhale action, who say, God, this is not the way that things should be, and it is much bigger than anything I can do about it, but here is the little that I can do. But we need to realize that there's something in us that, that leans towards doing what makes us feel better. Avoiding the, the feeling of discomfort in the pursuit of pleasure of just, oh, I'll just avoid that and, and then I feel better about it. We need to realize that the biblical theology of justice says that talk is cheap, but the call to act is in love. Think of 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. It says this, this is how we know what love is. This is our example. This is what we have received. This is the truth that we know. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love uh, with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I don't know about you, but that convicts me, right? That, that lands in me because like I said, the world can feel pretty overwhelming and it can feel like there is so much need, there is so much broken, I, I don't know where to start, I don't know what to do. What can one person do in the face of all of the injustice and evil that we see? And, and the reality is, is that one very simple thing that we can do on a weekly basis whenever we might feel a conviction, is to fast. To fast as a way of, of praying, and I'll speak to this in a moment, but also to fast and to take the resources that we would have used on that meal and to share with those who are in need. As Nick already said, as part of Heart Week, we set up the, the, the cap, Christians Against Poverty, where a Christians Against Poverty debt center, we work with people in money chaos here in Ototahi, uh, the, the cap support fund. And, and as a part of Christians Against Poverty, we don't pay off people's debt because it's been found that when we help people to pay off their debt, they stay out of debt at a much greater rate. But we need to help people in that journey. 
and, and in paying off debt, we help them to, there's a budget set and, and we help them to, to move through that, but it's a hard process. And so one of the things that we like to do is to come in and meet some of the needs in that process to say, hey, how about we give you some groceries this week so that your money goes a little bit further? How about we do what we can do in helping you? And, and so what would it look like maybe to, to in, in a week, take the money that you would have spent on, on a meal or some meals that week, and rather than it just remaining in your bank account as a nice little buffer, which we all love, but instead taking it and saying, hey, I'm going to sow this into the CAP support fund. That there are families in Ōtotahi who are going without, without choice. And, and I can't solve it for all of them, but I can solve it for one family. And so this week, one family is going to eat a meal that I'm not going to eat. It will not be in my belly, and it will be in theirs. And that's one practical way I can support them. Or we have Love in Action, right, which is our, our church uh, freezer meal initiative. Again, we, we give to those in community who could do with support. Maybe it even goes so far as you literally cook the meal you would have ate, but you don't eat it. You put it in a container, and you bring it to church, you put it in the freezer, and someone else eats the literal meal you would have ate. Right? What can we do to help? We can't do everything, but we can do something. And the tradition of fasting within the church is to do exactly that. And that's how the church changed the world. It's how the church formed orphanages and, 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 and hospitals. It's how the church brought something of the kingdom to earth in practical, real ways that transformed the Western world, that were the most compelling witness to the power of the gospel, not because people were simply being pious and, wow, that person seems to not be eating today, but because that person not eating today has profoundly impacted my life. It's that simple, but it's that powerful sharing what we have. And finally, as the, the band joins me, I'm done. The last thing that we do is we fast, we stand in solidarity with the hungry, we share what we have, and we stand against evil and injustice. Right? As I've already said, fasting is a way for, for the powerful to voluntarily align with the powerless. It's to choose not to do something that you could. And one thing maybe we don't realize when we think about this is when we do this, we're emulating something of Jesus. Jesus, who, as it says in Philippians 2, who, who was God, who is God, but did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, something to grasp, but willingly poured himself out, emptying himself, taking on the, the form of a slave, a servant, humbling himself to death and even death on a cross that He would choose to come to us, to meet us in our sin and our shame. Now, when we fast, we are not Jesus. We don't save anyone. That's not what we're called to do, but we do take on something of who Jesus is. We willingly relinquish something of our power. We, we, we step into the freedom to say, I could, but I choose not to. No, true freedom in the Bible is not the freedom to, it's the freedom to choose not to. The freedom to say, I don't have to do that. I will not be ruled by my desires. And like we talked about last week, we can fast without praying. And we can pray without fasting. But when we put the two together, something special happens. And so my invitation, quite simply as I finish, is what if as you fasted, you fasted not just for a personal breakthrough, although that's great. But you also incorporated something in of your fasting of a way of standing in prayer against evil. I think you'd agree, it's evil that there are people who do not have enough to eat. It is evil that there are people who do not have a safe place to live. 
And, and we can do what we can practically. And we can pray. We can take what we would spend on that meal and we can use it to help those in need. And as we don't eat, as we pray with our bodies for ourselves, we can also pray for others. Prayer and action. This is what Isaiah had in mind. Right? He's not saying that fasting is bad, but, but he's saying that prayer and fasting cannot become the Christian form of slacktivism. God, I feel better about the world because I'm fasting today. I'm a holy, pious person. Instead, the sort of prayer that we're invited to, the sort of fasting we're invited to is embodied. It is holistic. It changes us in our relationship to God, and it impacts others through our prayers and through our actions. Because that's the call every time, to be an embodied people, to be a people in bodies who say, God, what I do with my living, breathing life matters. I'm done. I've done my best over the last four weeks to lay out a vision of what fasting is, is one of the most powerful and essential practices of following after Jesus. Again, we do not have to fast, but I believe there is an opportunity in it for us. That it is the potential to transform our relationship to Jesus, to remind us of what we most deeply desire and to draw us into deeper relationship with Him. It is the potential to transform our relationship to our body to heal our relationship to pleasure, to, to starve our flesh and to feed our spirit, to turn our body into an ally in the war against sin. It has the potential to transform our relationship with God in prayer, to sharpen our ability to hear God's voice as well as give power to our prayers. And finally, it has the, the potential to transform our relationship with those in need, with the hungry, with those in lack to embody our prayers. And so it's our prayer that, that you join us across the next 21 days to fast as a church. And that beyond that, you would continue fasting in some way, shape, or form. That fasting is too good a thing to only do once a year. But that we would embrace what, it, what does it look like for me to fast on a, on a weekly basis, to incorporate this as part of my following after Jesus. Church, we're going to finish with communion. And the reason we're going to finish with communion, maybe just as the host, hopefully you got communion on your way in, but if you didn't, if you just give a host a wave, we'd love to get a, a, a communion to you. The reason we're finishing with communion today is because fasting is temporary, but feasting is eternal. What I mean by that is the story of Scripture begins with a fast. Right, we talked about it in, in, in week two, that the first command in Scripture in Genesis 3 is to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to abstain from something. It's essentially a fast, to go without, to deny a desire. And while Scripture begins with a fast, it ends with a feast. In Revelation 21 to 22, where all of God's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gather around the table with Jesus Himself, there is no more fasting because there is no more hunger. There is no more denying the flesh because there is no more sin. And communion is a way of reminding ourselves. It's not over. The best is yet to come. When we feast together in the meal, it is communion. And it's not a literal feast, I'll acknowledge. But when we eat a meal in acknowledgement of the day that is to come, we remind ourselves that we fast now as a way of praying with our bodies, God, would your kingdom come and your will be done. But one day we will not have to pray that prayer anymore because things will be made right. The kingdom will come. 
God's will will be done. It's a feast, maybe not literally, but it's a meal to remember one day all will be made right. And so the invitation today is to join us in fasting, to join us in praying with our very bodies that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that his kingdom would come. But the invitation is also to fast from a place of feasting, to fast from an assured conviction that Jesus has defeated death in the grave, that we are free because of his sacrifice as we take the cup, and that we don't have to do any of this in our own strength as we take the bread. That God doesn't love us any more or less because of what we do or do not do, that he loves us because of who he is. And communion is the meal, is the feast by which we remember that. And we remind ourselves lastly that we partner with Jesus. That fasting is not simply an act of your willpower, but it's bringing what you can do to Jesus and praying that he would do what only he can do. In a moment, the band's gonna lead us in the new song that we sung, Mighty Name. If you'd stand to your feet as they lead us, I'd encourage you to take communion in your own time, but just before you do, I'd love to pray for us. His heads are bowed, his eyes are closed. God, I thank you for the the moment we are on the precipice of. God, I thank you for the expectancy in the room. God, we come into the season of prayer and fasting intentionally, knowing the power of what we do with our bodies. God, I pray for those of us who are here who know exactly what we're gonna do, who have pre-decided. God, I thank you for that and I bless that. God, and I bring those of us in the room today who, who are thinking, man, this sounds like a good idea, but I'm just not quite sure what it's gonna do. I thank you that the most helpful thing is this thing that we simply do. There's not a perfect way to fast. There's not a perfect way to seek you. But I pray that all of us, however we seek, would seek from a place of being reminded we are enabled and empowered by your presence. And so today as we take communion, would we come back to the main thing? That you love us, that you are for us, that you came to us, that we do not earn your love, that we do not fast so you might love us, but we fast from a place of being loved. God, I pray as we take this cup, as we take the cracker, would you bless it? Would it be a feast, maybe not physically, but in something of our spirit that we would be reminded of your provision, your plenty, and your love, that we would embrace the only name that saves, the mighty name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.